to the second episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is how to determine if you've got the right stuff for independence. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. In the last episode, we walked through a timeline depicting how we got here, how the independent space went from being something that only people who couldn't cut it in the traditional space considered, to being all the rage, the real deal. And we also talked a little bit about some of the characteristics of a typical independent or entrepreneurial-minded advisor. Let's take a minute to talk about who shouldn't go independent. One certainly might seem logical, but those lacking entrepreneurial DNA. Two would be those relying on large amounts of unvested deferred comp to fund retirement. Said another way, where and when monetizing for the greatest amount in the short term, either to make up for what you leave behind or to capture every dollar in the short term is most important, even though there are many models today that allow advisors to go independent and still monetize the business, they're not going to allow you to monetize for the greatest amount. Those also with less than a five-year time horizon probably shouldn't consider independence either unless they have a solid next gen in place and are willing to wait probably what seven to ten years to really capture the real upside and benefit of having built an independent enterprise. Those that are not comfortable with flexibility or finding new ways to do things, those whose books are tied to the firm, We've seen advisors who's managed money for other advisors. And unless those other advisors are part of the move, it makes the book or part of the book less portable. So unless an advisor is comfortable leaving part of his or her book behind, probably doesn't make a lot of good sense. Those who aren't confident in their growth trajectory probably shouldn't consider it much either because independence is all about betting on yourself. Going independent is betting on the long term, and if you don't believe in your growth, it's probably not a good idea. Those not interested in building an enterprise. So independence is really meant for those that are looking to not only grow their own practice or book, but also to grow beyond themselves, to grow inorganically as well. And those not interested in that probably are better off in employee land. Sole practitioners with less than $100 million in assets under management also probably, unless they're willing to go independent and consider merging with someone else or being acquired, probably not the best path either. So what it all comes down to is know thyself, be self-aware, and brutally honest. I want to share a story with you that might bring the point home and then talk with you about a self-assessment, some questions that we've created that we believe allow advisors to strategically determine where they're best suited, whether that be independence or any other path. So I wanna share a real life example of two advisors. I'm gonna call them B 
Bill and Sam, just for purposes of this exercise and maintaining confidentiality. So when Bill and Sam first came to me, and first of all, let me tell you about Bill and Sam. Very high quality, high profile, corner office, wirehouse advisors, lifers at their firm, generating more than $3 million in annual revenue. Most of that revenue was all fee-based, managing more than about $400 million in assets under management, managing money for, say, 100 or so deep relationships, a really enviable and solid book of business. And when they first came to me, they said, we would never consider another wirehouse. We are tired of the bureaucracy. We want to have control over our own P&L, more control over our, our own destiny. We want to go independent. In fact, we just watched one of our colleagues that we have tremendous respect for that has more than a billion under management leave our firm and go independent. It was actually shocking that he had left. And if it was right for him, it feels like something we need to explore as well. So we set about putting a plan in place to introduce them to various models of independence. They were interested and intrigued and in the game, took many meetings, provided all of their documentation about their business to the firm so that the firms could provide pro forma P&Ls to them. And in fact, those pro forma P&Ls proved that in the long run, in say a five to seven year period at a minimum, the economics of independence would blow away the economics of being an employee. No doubt about it. But what Bill and Sam began to talk of was feeling just less excited about going independent. Couldn't really put their finger on why, but when we talked about it, and delve deep into this 20-question self-assessment that I'm going to share with you in just a moment, they began to realize that while the superior economics of independence were indisputable, they just weren't jazzed by a lot of the things that would have been required to be a business owner. So it was midway through the exploration process that they called a timeout, we regrouped, and they said, despite earlier statements that they would never consider another wirehouse, that in fact, maybe they really were wirehouse guys and wanted to head in that direction. So we introduced them to the other wirehouses. And while they have not made a move yet, if I'm a betting woman, I would tell you that they are very likely to remain in the traditional space and be most excited by monetizing for the greatest amount and remaining employees. So in many cases, Bill and Sam are not even a little bit unique. Advisors reactively respond to either outreach from business development officers, third-party recruiters like myself, or friends of theirs at other firms and models, and they automatically take meetings. The problem that happens, there's nothing wrong with taking the meetings, but what often happens is that advisors come away after those meetings more overwhelmed, more confused, and with more questions than answers. Why? Because number one, every representative of every other firm is going to tell the advisor how great that other firm is, but the advisor is sort of left on his own to really wonder what are the warts, what are the downside, how does it compare to others, to objectify each and every situation. But the bigger reason for the overwhelm and a lot of the questions is because the advisor hasn't taken the time 
to start from the beginning, to do what we call begin with the end in mind, to strategically define and clarify what it is he or they are looking for, to strategically outline and delineate the the drivers, the goals, the frustrations, the things that they must have, the things that they definitely don't want to have. In all my experience, the best deals have gotten done because the advisors took the time to be brutally self-aware and honest from the get-go. And I would tell you that had Bill and Sam in our example taken the time to be strategic in their exploration, as opposed to just somewhat knee-jerk, they probably would have saved themselves a whole lot of time and spinning their wheels. So let's jump to what some of these questions look like. The process that ultimately allowed Bill and Sam to see more clearly is one that we use with all advisors who work with us. It starts with what we refer to as a self-assessment that is a list of 20 questions advisors must ask themselves before they begin exploration. You'll find a link to this assessment on this podcast episode page on our website to remind you, diamond-consultants with an S at the end.com. The answers to these questions I can almost guarantee you, will help you to come up with a short list of options based on your defined goals. From there, you can create a vetting process that is more streamlined and certainly strategic, ultimately saving you time and energy because only spending time devoted to exploring the right options and opportunities. It's worth mentioning that these 20 clarifying questions, if you will, are not only meant to help someone determine if independence is right for them, but certainly are used by any advisor thinking about making a change or deciding whether to stay or go at all. I can't emphasize enough that answering these 20 questions is a critical step for any advisor who's beginning an exploration process and to do it as close to the beginning as possible And if you're midway through the process, no harm, no foul, put a period where you are right now, take a pause, take a breath, answer the questions, and you will have much greater clarity and certainly move forward with much greater efficiency. So let's get started. Again, these questions, the self-assessment are available on our website, but feel free to take some notes now as I move through them. Number one, what do you like about your firm? No matter how frustrated someone is, there are always things that are good about your firm that allowed you to get to where you are, and it's important to be clear about what it is you'd want to replicate. Number two, conversely, is what's frustrating you, if anything. It's important to be really clear about what those frustrations are. Because number three is to what extent Do those frustrations limit you or impact your ability to get it done? And in most cases, get it done is defined by grow your business and service your clients. Next, to what extent do you rely upon the support your firm provides? And is that support robust enough? So if you're an advisor 
that is highly dependent on plug-and-play, easy access to the tools and resources you need, and committed to only one way and that way of doing things, that likely doesn't speak to somebody who's going to thrive as an independent. Does your firm's brand help or hurt you? Is the community within the firm still right for you? Meaning, do you find yourself surrounded by enough advisors that are like-minded so that you are able to share ideas, that you grow from leveraging synergies and sharing ideas? Will your firm's succession planning support allow you to identify the right successor for your business and maximize enterprise value? Meaning, does your firm have a retiring advisor program? And if it does, does the terms as they exist today feel like they will allow you to monetize your business the way you want to, to feel like at the end of the day, you've monetized your life's work? Next, does your firm have the scale to continue to invest and innovate with respect to technology, platform, thought leadership, and whatever else is meaningful to support your business? Do you feel like you're getting enough value from your firm relative to what you pay for? So a lot of big firm advisors say, our firm takes more or my firm takes more than 50 cents on every dollar for every dollar I generate. Do you feel that the value you get in return for that more than 50 cents on the dollar payment or tariff is enough? Do you feel as though you've outgrown the model? Do you feel as though being an employee limits you in any way? Just how entrepreneurial do you think you are? Do you want the ability to fully customize your service offerings or do you like a plug and play environment? And there's no judgment in those questions at all. There absolutely is no one right way to run a business and it's all about a personal preference. What feels right? How do you wanna live your business life? How important is transition money? Meaning, how important is it in the short term to monetize your business? And if so, how much would be meaningful? If it's about monetizing for top dollar, for sure independence wouldn't be the right path. If you're willing to monetize to some degree in the short term and value more the long-term upside, then there's lots to talk about and certainly lots to think about. So the next question ties into that. If asked to weigh the short-term upside versus long-term enterprise value, which would be more important to you? Put another way, how much do you value the upfront check or short-term transition money versus building long-term enterprise value or equity value? Next, which would you value more? 100% equity in your own business or some equity in your own business plus equity in a larger entity? That's a question that speaks to the advisor that is interested in going independent, but needs to think about whether he or she wants to go independent on his own, meaning own 100% of the equity in his own business, or he prefers to plug into or join or merge or associate with an already established firm in the notion or in the hopes that one plus one equals three. On a scale of one to 10, 
How important is building out your team, recruiting or acquiring books of business? Said another way, are you an enterprise builder? Next, how confident are you in your pipeline, your growth trajectory, and your depth of client relationships? If you are not 100% confident in any one of those three, then you might think about whether a move at all, let alone to independence, is the right thing for you. Next, what are your personal and professional goals? Certainly very important and very personal and private and individual, and oftentimes very different amongst even partners in the same team. Next, how do you want to live your professional life? What is your version of ideal? Again, private and personal, and often different between members of the same partnership. And finally, where do you see yourself five or 10 years from now? If you closed your eyes and thought about it, is it with the same firm you're at now? So having answered these questions, hopefully the advisor then has gained the knowledge and self-awareness and clarity to determine what happens next. First, stay versus go. Am I best served right where I am? Secondly, is independence the path I want to consider? Thirdly, am I honestly more of a big firm or employee-based person? No judgment. Independence can be intriguing and exciting and interesting and even something you decide to explore, but in the end, ultimately determine it's not best for you. That's the purpose of that exercise. So as we wind down this episode, I leave you with this. No ship sets sail without knowing its final destination. That is, a journey always begins, or at least it should, with the end in mind. So be clear on what you want that destination to be. I thank you for listening. I also want to thank wealthmanagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. I hope you'll join me for our next episode when we'll walk through the many different flavors and versions of independence, each offering varying degrees of autonomy, control, equity structures, and ability to monetize the business. What you'll learn in the next episode is that independence is no longer a one-size-fits-all model. And many folks are finding that as the landscape has evolved, there were all kinds of options they never knew existed or never thought of as being right for them. From quasi-independent to independent broker-dealer to RIA hybrid and fee-only RIA, more choice makes it more likely for an advisor than ever before to find their version of utopia. So until then, I hope you'll visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for some valuable content, as well as the podcast link for information and links related to each episode. And if you're not already a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. Feel free certainly to email or call me in the strictest of confidence, and certainly I have no expectation or agenda. I'm happy to answer any specific questions you may have. I can be reached at either by phone 908-879-1002 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants with an S at the end.com. 
This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.